ladies and gentlemen, transmitting direct from Lion's Den Studios in Los Angeles, California, Crew S Studios and Danube Productions bring you The Conduit, bringing together motivated artists to share their experience and to pull back the curtain for a first-hand look at a life in the arts. This episode, our guest is Daniel Hall, founder of Writing Easy Records and co-founder of Sabbath by the Sea. So adjust your antenna, relax, and tune in. The program is about to begin. All right. Welcome, everybody, to episode 18 of The Conduit, a podcast where I sit down and talk to amazing, courageous people about making a living in the arts. Today, my guest is founder of Writing Easy Records, DJ and record collector, and co-founder of Sabbath by the Sea, the one and only Daniel Hall. Daniel grew up with music and his early internships at Rick Rubin's American Records and Interscope taught him the ropes. But it was labels like Sub Pop and Man's Ruin, founded by Frank Kozik, RIP, that shaped his belief in putting out music you love and the role a strong graphic can play in branding that is the backbone of writing easy. Labels buyers trust when they see the logo. Since signing the Swedish band Salem's Pot in 2013, Riding Easy Records has signed a who's who of current heavy rock bands like Monolord, Acid King, Blackwater, Holy Light, Electric Citizen, Here Lies Man, Warish, and many, many more. However, the label has also become a one-stop shop for resurrected post-hippie, pre-punk, hard rock nuggets recorded between 68 and 85 with their Brown Acid series, now on volume 16. Run out of his house, Riding Easy is at catalog number 179 to date and shows no sign of slowing down due to our guest's work ethic and enthusiasm for what he does. So sit back, relax, and have a listen to my conversation with my brother from another mother, Daniel Hall. All right, Daniel Hall, welcome to The Conduit Man. So happy to have you here today. Yeah, dude, how are you? I'm doing fine, man, doing fine. Just, uh, you know, it's 10 o'clock, so uh, early morning for me, but I'm good. Everything's fine. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes, <laughs> yeah. yes. Got a little June gloom going on outside. It it's, is. Uh, yeah, it's yeah. foggy. Yeah, the, the marine layer is in. We're, we were socked in this morning, too. I love it. Well, I love um, your background right now. Just taking a peek. Oh, you got, dang. You got the, is that the first Slayer, right? Show No Mercy on, on yeah. YouTube? Dang. Wow, yeah. beauty. I just finally am looking at what's on your wall back there. I oh, I, f I figure this is a better black backdrop than uh, just a <laughs> white, white wall. So. Totally, man. Oh Give it a little God. flavor. Slayer was one of the first shows I went and saw Iron Maiden and Slayer. And I saw Slayer, at, I think the Palladium. My best friend in high school was a huge metalhead, still is. Just right. played with Exodus for a long time. And he's he took me to all the metal shows back then. So we saw Slayer for uh, Rain and Blood at the Palladium. Dude, awesome. I, I, um, I was not at that show, but I did read, I have read about that show it was kind of infamous because, uh, I guess people were jumping from the, the, the up top balcony. Oh yeah. Not me. Not from the balcony. To the the pit, stage, which though. is like, yeah, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> it was nuts. Like I was, I was literally worried. I was like, holy, so like I've never like, seen mayhem like that before. Was that like 80, 88, 87? 
I'm not great with dates, but yeah, probably something like that. Yes. 88, 89. It was, it was not the nineties. No, 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 no. It was the eighties right. for sure. I always thought it was the country club, but I hit up my friend cause we saw a bunch of shows there too. But, uh, it was, I hit up my buddy, shout out to Craig and Lum. Uh, and he's like, no, it was the Palladium, man. You don't remember? <laughs> but I remember the freaking pit looking like something out of another world. I was like, whoa, yeah. like I'd never seen anything like that before. And I, I feel like um, Slayer in the 80s was even scarier yeah. because there wasn't really, they there wasn't that many bands that were going around like properly putting Satan on their cover and no. like up and like it like and it was like kind of in the middle of like satanic panic in the 80s yeah. and so like that kind of really made them that much scarier right, right like totally it like it made them like completely like it was like oh my god like these guys are like scaring even your parents <laughs> you know what I mean and like um and like your grandparents and like you know it was like Totally. You know, it was like you were putting your your kind of like your ex you know your existential existence on the line by being a Slayer fan. You know totally. what I mean? Like you weren't going to heaven if you were down with them. You know what I mean? So, um, yeah, yeah I, I always thought that was pretty funny. So I'm sure my dad was like, "What is this dude listening to? Man, he's got <laughs> a record called Hell Awaits in his yes yeah, cassette you know, case." I feel like Slayer too is is one of those bands that like especially growing up with that and, and back in the day like it it really sounded completely chaotic so much of the time. Yeah. And now when I go back to those records and listen to them in my older age, yeah. Dude, there's so many super groovy parts on those records. Oh, you know man. what I mean? Like they're yeah. they're not they're not like all like, you know, like it's not all abrasive. Like there's some no. really super groovy parts on those records which i think um you know dave lombardo, dave lombardo. Yeah, exactly dude yeah well the king I of the swing. yeah man he swung like you know like bill ward or something he just had that innate you know swing to it it wasn't super stiff like whatever you know yeah he had his he had an innate swing maybe the brazilian background you know his family's brazilian i guess something so, yeah but incredible band live, so much drama and uh, yeah, it was it definitely made an impression. <laughs> yeah. Well, speaking of, I want to talk. I want to go back a little bit with you, just because you have such uh, with Writing Easy Records, your your label, you have such a strong branding thing, and so many of those bands back then, I feel like you know, seeing those record covers from Metallica to Anthrax, I mean, going back to Black Sabbath, of course, but sure. all those hard rock covers, it was like, it was the music, but the artwork just played so much into creating a vibe. And I feel like that's something that Riding Easy really captured and you captured. So talk about that and what late, you know, what covers really grabbed your attention from back then? Yeah, you know, it's funny. Um, so I started writing Easy Records um, in 2013 for fun. Um, and it really was kind of like my, my weekend golf game. Like it, it wasn't really <laughs> supposed to be it really was a just a fun project. Yeah. Um, I found this band in, in um, Sweden called Salem's Pot and they had like right. 65 Facebook fans and like th there was th there wasn't really much to them, but they had this a really cool spooky vibe to them. And I was like, man, this band's so cool. And then, so like, um, I wrote them and I said, Hey, you know, um, 
are, you, where can I buy like an LP? Because I mean, this is really cool. And like, Oh my God, we don't have anybody to press that, but we do have a tape going on sale in, in two uh, weeks. So just yeah. buy the tape. And I was like, I'll totally buy the tape. So I bought the tape in the morning and then like, Two hours later, I had texted a friend of mine and I was like, hey, this really cool band from Sweden um, just put their tape on sale. And like, I think you'd really like it. You should just go buy it and support because they're yeah. cool and whatever. Yeah. So he goes, oh, yeah, I'll go check that out. So he 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 texts me back like an hour later and he goes, dude, I went to go buy that tape, but like it was sold out. And I was like, Whoa. that's crazy. There's no way that sold out. Like they nobody even knows his band is. And yeah. like. So then like, but he was right. And they blew through 200 tapes in like a couple hours. So I was wow. like, huh, that's pretty interesting for a band with no social media and whatever. Did they I don't play, know how that they played around Sweden a ton or how did they have some? They didn't play there? around at all. It was oh, like really? just this weird internet kind of like thing. And so Crazy. I was like thinking about it. And so um, I thought about it for like 48 hours and I was like, you know what? If those kids can fucking sell that many tapes in like a couple hours. Yeah. And I was like, then they could easily sell a few hundred records. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. 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 So I just, I hit them up and I was like, Hey, you guys don't know me, but um, I am definitely involved in the music business. I don't have a label, but I'm going to probably start one anyways. And like, yeah. I might as well just launch with you guys. Like, so how about I press 300 records and I give you guys 20% of the pressing and I sell the 240 to pay for my end and you guys get 60 records. I'll cover the, to ship them to Sweden. What do you think? And they're like, sure, if you want to. <laughs> I mean, like, <laughs> it was really like kind of like that. Yeah. And we kicked it off and we put put it um put it up on sale and the first re- and like the first pressing sold out in two days. Wow. And it was just kind cool. of like it was just kind of like from there like the, in the first day like we were in the black like it was crazy wow. and like and that's just kind of i've been really lucky with how things have kind of flown with this label and it, and it, for the first like 30 releases like every release was like that like it was yeah. like things were sold out and the first it was like really quick and so um but back to your question uh the labels that inspired me uh growing up especially in in the 90s and whatnot um one the biggest inspiration for me was man's ruin and um frank kozik who just passed away last week um was a legendary um poster designer um all of his cover art is his whole label had this crazy aesthetic to it and he was the guy who birthed like queens of the stone age and caius and he had like he did stuff with the melvins and acid king and sleep and like all of these bands that kind of laid the groundwork to like what the sort of like nuts and bolts are for writing easy. So aesthetically it was that, and then also being an avid record shopper. Yeah. Um, how many times, like back in the nineties, like when back pre internet days, you would go to the record store and a lot of times you couldn't hear what something sounded like. You had to look at the cover and be like, damn, this looks pretty sick. I'm going to take a gamble on this, <laughs> totally, right? Totally. It, that's how, and that's so I, me understanding how important it was, like, I was like, look, nobody knows who these bands are that I'm going to be working with. Yeah. So I have to have a cover that stands on its own. That's going to at least like, if it's up on the wall, people need to be able to look up and be like, what the fuck is that? You yeah. know what I mean? Like, <laughs> totally. what is that? You know that? Yeah. And I didn't want to make things that looked completely obvious as to what it was like it should be a little ambiguous Mm. like 
huh, it looks dark. It looks cool. Hmm. Interesting. You know what I mean? Like right. it doesn't need to look like a Slayer cover where it's pretty clear what that record's going to sound. <laughs> right. Right. Totally. You know what I mean? Totally. So yeah, but I understood that. And I also understood with the label and the branding stuff that, um, if we're going to sell a shitload of t-shirts, yeah. Um, we would have to be very clear what we stand for as a label. And the same way that people who don't skateboard wear Thrasher shirts because yeah. they like what it stands for. Sure. There's a lot of people that wear writing easy t-shirts. They probably don't know who any of our bands are yeah. or they don't actively listen to our bands, right. but they like the general aesthetic, the vibe that it means like, yo, I'm down with this. Like, sure. um, we just had a girl um, buy one of our writing easy tire covers. Oh yeah. And like, dude, she's like literally like a, a um, cheerleader in like at Arizona state. And she has it on the back <laughs> of the Jeep and she's not like, she doesn't know any of the things, but she just likes the vibe and what it stands for. And cool. it was like, yeah. okay. You know what I mean? Like, so, um, but that was, that's kind of like, where that comes from you know what i mean yeah. and, and looking at labels like sub pop right. and, and you know man's ruin um looking at like third man records what jack white's done yeah. um everything has a very clear aesthetic to it yeah. and so i understood that like if i was going to have something that was a brand and stood for something i, I would really have to have a, a real clear sort of narrative as to what we were doing here yeah totally you know, because like if you look at like Warner Brothers, like you don't really know what Warner Brothers stands for. Sure, sure. You know what I mean? I like so, your your parallel to the skateboarding thing because yeah, you're right. So many kids wear Thrasher or Pal Peralta shirts because the branding sure. was just like it's a killer it looking cool. graphic. You know, it was cool. It was yeah. cool, and it's the same kind of reason that like or Danzig, you know, the Danzig freaking horned little dude. Boost. Yeah. How many people wear a Misfits shirt? They couldn't tell you three Misfits songs. Right, and I'm, right. I'm totally stoked for that. Like, look, yeah. man, like, um, and I also understood too, that like, um, it's really hard to make money in music. Yeah. So you really have to sort of like figure out as many different income streams as possible. Yeah. And with <laughs> rock music and metal and the heavy stuff that we sort of specialize in. Yeah. Um, part of the uniform is the t-shirts, the patches, the pins and all that. Right. And so I sort of really understood that. And I think it's really important to make sure that we're also checking that box off too. Yeah, totally. You know? So um, one thing kind of growing up and also being very active in the hip hop and DJ scene or whatever, yeah. um, you know, I think that that scene could really take a, a, a you know, a couple pointers from the rock and the metal dudes totally. because um, like, you know, think about if like, all the eighties rap groups yeah. had made shirts the same way that metal guys were dude. I mean, how sick would it be to have like vintage EPMD shirts and shit like that? Totally. Like it'd be so sick. And like, yeah. just didn't really happen. It didn't. You're right. I mean, and there are a lot of long, a lot of strong graphics like that. EPMD is a good case. The only one I can really think of that went like wide, even though people might not know the group is like that hieroglyphics, you know, uh, sure face and absolutely and, yeah, I, and but like but yeah yeah absolutely but like i i kind of feel like you know if public enemy was cranking out t-shirts at the same level that slayer was yeah dude they could have like you know that would have been a huge income stream for sure yeah that's crazy but maybe yeah. it wasn't part of the uniform but i feel like it is now yeah totally you know 
Everybody so. wants to wear those branded T-shirts, whether they love the music or just think it's a cool brand look. That's that's right. And so that's kind of really kind of what it kind of, you know, and so and, and when it comes down to album artwork now, I think it's the most important piece of the puzzle. Yeah. Because um, we live in such a visual society, um, writing easy records. Like I said, we, we you know, we don't work with bands that are household names. Mm -hmm. So and a lot of times when I sign a band like they have zero previous album coming out. Right. And so for me, it's like, all right, guys, like um, and this is a conversation that we have to have all the time. It's like, look, dudes, like. I'm not going to tell you how to tune your guitars. I'm not going to tell you which amps to use. I might give you some mix pointers if I feel like the vocal's too buried or the kick, the snare drum needs to be a little louder. But for the most part, like that's your guys' lane. I'm 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 I want to work with you because of what I believe in what you're doing, and I'm not really going to fuck with that. But I was like, but when it comes to the one visual thing that I have to market your record, yeah. we have to have something that's going to stand apart. And so I think that like with now with like social media and the ADD generation, yeah. you essentially have one shot to get these people to tune in and check something out. And if you don't grab them in five seconds, they'd be like, oh, I heard that band. I, I didn't like what I hear heard. And they're not going to go log on to the Spotify and go listen to the whole record if they don't like the 15 seconds of audio clip and the artwork that goes along with it on your social media posts. Right. And so sort of understanding that I was like, look, we, we need to have, um, as much like we have enough going against us anyways. Like let, let's try to find something that's going to help pop off the, the shelf a little bit. And so, yeah. And so that's kind of what it is. I mean, I feel like a lot of, a lot of bands, um, if left to their own devices, at least over here, we'd have a, 80% of our covers would have a skull on it of sorts, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, and that's yeah. totally cool. And like, I get where they're coming from, but um, we need to think outside the box a little bit because I mm -hmm. think there's a lot of people, if they have it in their head, like, Oh, I don't like doom metal. Yeah. Then it's like, okay, then, then, but like, but a lot of the records that I try to try to get behind and put out, it's like, it doesn't just sound like every other doom record. It's a genre defining record. Like yeah. this one behind me, um, this this record right here yeah. model lord empress yeah. rising like we put that out in 2014 and it really is a genre defining doom album it's people who say dude i don't like doom but that band mono lord is something special and i like them they've transcended yeah. like they may be rooted in that but they've yeah. transcended that it's more than just a doom record right. and so i think that it's really important for um that's that's something that we take into account. Obviously, we don't hit home runs every time, but um, we've had a we've had a pretty good amount of success with working with unknown situations. And and it's funny because people ask me all the time, like, "Oh, you have a record label? Like, do do I know any of the bands that you work with?" And I'm like, "Probably not." <laughs> like, so, yeah. But you should. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you might. Yeah, I mean, you should. And I'd be like, hey, you know, if you like this kind of stuff, then you probably like what we're up to. But like, again, like, um, you know, there I think there's a lot of what I, another thing that I sort of notice is that like. So, you know, obviously there's multiple tiers of of sort of record labels. Right. Yeah. And um, we're kind of somewhere in between the guy who wants to put out his friend's record. Uh, and puts maybe two LPs out a year yeah. and or one LP out a year and um, and like the biggest like independent sort of heavier 
you know, labels where it's like, you know, we, um, we're not, you know, it's like, if, if we can sell 2000 to 3000 units on, on a release, then like that to me is a success. Like, and when I say 2000 or 3000, that's in like the first year and a half of the record coming out. That's kind right. of like what we sort of, our goal is like during the record cycle or whatever. Right, right. Um, but we've had a lot of records that have gone more than 10,000, you know what I mean? And so, um, awesome. and so, which is peanuts for a massive corporation or whatever but um do we run this shit out of my house and it's just me and my wife banging it out and like you know so it's it's not um that's what i love about it yeah it's exactly. like it's it's such a cool parallel i mean you know with everybody looking at things like instagram these days it's all these heavily curated pages and i feel like you with your background as a dj all the yep. stuff you put out you're curating this lovely you know kind of display of music and artwork and it's just it's it's perfect for today and uh i just think it's uh yeah it's like a perfectly curated label thanks man you know a lot of um work goes into it and yeah. um you know we um like i've only signed um four or two current bands in the last four years yeah um and um you know it people are like oh you know you you know you, you i've been sending you my demos for years and like you know it's like and i'm like dude it, it's it's nothing personal but yeah um if i'm gonna invest money and time into it like i have to feel really good about it and so it's sort of like um and also too at this point where the label's at I really feel like we've gained a lot of people's trust. Right. Like, oh, if it's if it's got this logo on it, like even if I don't know what it is, like they have a pretty good track record. Right. Like I right. like most of the stuff that they put out, so I'm yeah. going to take a chance on this. Right. And like as soon as they buy one record that they deem as a zinger, yeah. Yeah, maybe that trust is lost, dude. Like it's not just like a record that doesn't do well. We've kind of degraded the trust of who our, our buyers are. And we got to make sure that, you know, when people get our stuff, they like, they, they get it and they're like, yo, like, I may not like this whole record, but these two songs are fucking amazing. Like, sure. like, I'm glad I have this, you know what I mean? Yeah. 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 Building a trust with your buying public is a huge thing. You know, they know if they see that logo, they're going to get something that they like. That's right. And, and, you know, it's like, and if you think about it, it's like, um, people have so many choices where to spend their money now. You know, yeah. and we're literally competing with Black Sabbath box sets and and you know what I mean? Like, it's yeah. it's crazy. I mean, like it on your phone, you can go buy something from writing easy records, but you could also go buy like a cool like, you know, Slayer repress or something. And yeah. so it's like we, we need to make sure that we're providing something that's like and most people have limited income. Sure. And when another thing that's very interesting to me is like when we put up a new release, yeah. uh, people are like, oh, I got to get that. And then what will happen is we'll put up the new release that will drive traffic to the website. And then we'll end up selling like maybe a handful of those releases, but then all this other stuff that came out, like in the previous six months starts selling and people yeah. may have come to the website initially to get that new thing. Like, Oh, I forgot. I need to get this for I before I get that. that. Yeah. As long as they're getting something, I'm happy. Yeah, exactly. Well, you know, and you know, everyone wants to save on shipping. You get a few things at the same time. It's good. It's always a good look. That's right. That's right. Uh, amazing dude. Well, I love just hearing about that and the fact that it works. Cause I love, you know, I, I just think that's so true, you know, and I know, um, 
I read, I, I forgot about this, but I, I, I didn't know you worked at American too. Rick Rubin's old label too. Yeah. Like that was how I, which bring us back to Slayer. Yeah. Um, all roads back to Slayer, but yeah. <laughs> um, yeah when it, it's funny. I, um, I was, I was 17. I had just graduated from high school and um, a friend of mine who was older, who was going to um, Pitzer college down the street from where I grew up. His yeah. name is Matt Nathanson. And he's actually a pretty successful, like singer songwriter in the coffee scene now. And oh, yeah. um, like, like he like plays pretty big places and he goes out on tour with bands like train and stuff. And um, okay. his musical trajectory is, you know, taste wise. It's so funny because it's like, that's not what I listen to, yeah. but I love Matt as a person. And I, and I think he's a fantastic songwriter and, and I'm so stoked that he's had all this success, but so he was like a couple years older than me. And um, I was like, dude, I, I really just got to figure out what I'm doing. And I, I, you know, I need to do something in music, but like, I don't know what I'm going to do. And he goes, dude, he's like, well, what's your favorite shit right now? And I told him, he goes, Oh, well then call up American records and tell them, that you love the Black Crows, that you love Slayer, yeah. that you know you think everything that Rick Rubin is doing is fantastic. You just heard that he signed a couple of the, you know, we mentioned a couple of bands that he had just signed at the time, and he's like, and just see what they say. Yeah. So that's what I did, and I, you know, it was so funny because you know, thinking about it now is like the balls on me at 17 years old that had <laughs> like ignorance was bliss because I didn't have any skill set. I wasn't <laughs> right. even going to college at the time. Like I, I, I right. and I called and I said, uh, Hey, I'm looking for an internship. I just called the front desk and they're like, um, hold on. Let me put you through to publicity because I think they actually need somebody. Oh, so nice. the woman answered the phone and she goes, Hi, publicity. I was like, yeah, hi, I'm, I'm a huge fan and this is what I'm up to. And, uh, I'm, you know, I, I work really hard. I live pretty close by. I, I, I'm looking for an internship. I'll, I'll do whatever. Just let me, just let me in the building. Yeah. And she goes, she asked me a couple questions and then she goes, and you're close by. And, and she goes like, how close are you? And I was like, I'm like 25 minutes away from Burbank. And she goes, um, could you be here today? And I was like, <laughs> wow. I could be there today. And she goes, cause Somebody just flaked on us and we have a huge mailing that needs stuffing and I could really use the help. So if you could be here in the next hour, oh, come shit. through. If you're not a fuck off, then we'll let you stay. Yeah. And I said, okay. So I showed not up. So perfect. I showed up. <laughs> I showed up and I was, um, yeah, I'll never forget, dude. I showed up and I was working on a Black Crows mailer on my first day and I was like, Dude, I couldn't be happier. And I sat yeah. there and stuffed my envelopes for like five hours and my hands were kind of like kind of bloody from like, you know, like cardboard. I didn't care. I thought it was the greatest thing ever. And then totally. um, and then she's like, Wow, you did all this. Thank you so much for your time and level. She's like, Do you want some CDs? And I was like, Sure, whatever. And she opened up this cabinet yeah. and it was like fucking angels came out of it. Like I heard <laughs> music and I saw all these CDs and she's like, Yeah, just take like a few things, no problem, whatever you want. And I just oh. I was like looked at her, I was like, for free? You know what I mean? Like I had no idea that that's how it worked. And yeah. so yeah, that was it, man. I was hooked. It was like a junkie getting free heroin. I was like, I was like, I can come here, hang out with these cool people and get free shit on <laughs> But that's how it happened, man. So yeah, I did that and um again ignorance is bliss i was going to college at the time i did start in the fall but that summer i wasn't going to college i was just hanging out and um then i kind of made nice with a few of the other, other people there and yeah. um when american i stayed there for about a year and a half and then american um left warner brothers and moved uh, to sony okay yeah and then uh 
Yeah. So that's how that happened. And then like those, a lot of people that were kind of, the company was kind of disbanding. It wasn't going to be like the record label, how it was like they were taking American. A few people were staying with American, but they were just going to use Sony for label services. They weren't going to have their own inclusive thing. Yeah. So a lot of people kind of like left their, lost their job, not lost, but it was clear the, 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 the company was changing. And right. Um, there was a few people of other startups and whatnot. And I did get to go work at a company called artist direct out of there with some of the guys who um, started that. So um, yeah, there's a guy named Mark Geiger and, um, and uh, there's a few other heavy hitters, but I went to that and I was going to college and yeah. And then I, I didn't want to be at the booking agency side of things. I realized that that's not, I just putting in offers and it just wasn't my thing. I I just, I wanted to be back at a label. And so, um, but then I got hired to go work at Interscope in the late nineties. Oh, really? I didn't um, know that. Yeah. That's so, cool. and it was weird. So I was there when they were at the Westwood building. Yep. Um, so, so that was when um, death row was, was uh, on the bottom floor. And, right. um, and those were always like, Hey, can you go downstairs and grab this for me? We need it for this. And like, I'd go to like death row and I'm like this, like, 20 year old white kid with like long hair. And like, I'd go to death row and there's literally like, armed dudes with AKs like at the front door and like it it was like crazy dude like I mean it was like it was just a wild time to be there and be in the mix and um right but it was weird too and like no being at that there at that time even though I I wasn't completely clued in with all of the politics and all of like the stuff that was going on like I knew that I was there at a historical time and I'm like oh my god like people are going to be talking about Tupac and right. Snoop yeah. and, and, and Suge like for the rest of my life. Like I knew that these guys were right. going to live in infamy forever. You know what I mean? Like you could just tell. And yeah. Um, but yeah, but I was not on the death row side. I was on the Interscope side and, you know, I really liked Interscope at the time because they had all these really, they obviously had their hip hop game on lock with, with death row or whatnot, but yeah. um, they also were putting out these, like Nine Inch Nails records and, oh, um, right, right. And, 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 and like, there's like, uh, there's other, you know, Marilyn Manson, which not that I was like, that's not the kind of music that was driving me, but hmm. I liked the fact that they were an edgy label and yeah, they were totally. you're putting out scary shit. Right. And to me, that was exciting because I yeah. wanted to be at a, and that's why I like Rick Rubin so much because he was putting out kind of like, you know, he was outside the box. Like, totally. you know what I mean? Like, he wasn't putting out bubblegum pop shit. And it was like, oh. so that's how I wanted to be. And I, I, you know, but yeah, that's, that's how that happened. And, um, I, I realized by like 2000 that like, um, working at a major label was not going to be for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I kind of had my stint with it. And I also saw, I just didn't want to deal with the politics. And at, yeah. at by the end of the day, it was like, I, I was there to make connections but I was also there to get free records. Like right. that was my main drive, right? <laughs> right? And that's how I got my record collection started. Yeah. And that's how I was beating out a lot of people my own age. Yeah. Um, and that's what led me to be able to be a DJ and play at the Temple Bar. And like, because I would have 20 Marilyn Manson CDs to go trade in at Amoeba and get right. 300 bucks and yeah. buy records that I want. You know what I mean? Like that was the game. You know what totally, I mean? So totally. Oh my God. Amazing. Well, it's, it, it's not lost on me that these two labels you work for American and Interscope both had very strong branding game. Um, sure. 
And uh, I'm sure that rubbed off on you. I mean, geez, all the stuff Rick had coming out from Slayer to that uh, that first Danzig record is on was on American too, wasn't oh, it? Oh yeah, and Black Crows and Black and, Crows um, America, like yeah, and geez. then like but he was like also like working with Johnny Cash at the time, and like right. I didn't, I mean, I I got to be in the same room as Johnny. I mean, I I you know I, I was terrified, yeah. and the first time that yeah. I was in an elevator with Rick, I almost fainted because I was like <laughs> I, I I couldn't like couldn't even like talk or breathe and i was like hyperventilating like you know what i mean i was like i'm here with uh, the man and like he probably doesn't even he, he there's no way he would even remember me i mean i was a fucking peon dude i was no a way. kid stuffing envelopes like you know what i mean like i was working for the assistant's assistant you know what i mean like but right. yeah well, whatever but I, I got in the door <laughs> totally man totally around stuff and just getting ideas together i mean that can't I, I don't. Sure. I, I think it's like just the, the the basic idea of if you love something and get around other people who love that same something, there's gonna yeah. be magic and inspiration in the air that's gonna bring good things. And it's like above all, whether you're making money and you're, or you're doing an internship, which is not paying, you're still around like-minded people that are inspired to create stuff. And, sure, uh, dude, and like and, that and like good stuff. Yeah. And the thing that I learned, um, is, um, the mailroom runs the whole thing. If you can get down with the mailroom guys, like you, you, you have the keys to the castle, dude. Like, it'd right. be like, you know what I mean? Like, it'd be like, but yeah, I mean, there was a lot of shenanigans that went on that, you know, <laughs> yeah, you figure it out real quick. Yeah. You might've not have been getting the check, but you were definitely getting something. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> yes. Lots of good lessons. I mean, it's like, it's like college, a different kind of college. go ahead no it totally is like college i mean that that in itself that i got more out of that than the four years that i did at cal state northridge right which is where i went too i don't know i i I just when when did you graduate uh let's see i graduated high school at 89 so 93 94 okay so yeah Yeah. so i i didn't start i didn't start at northridge until 96 yeah gotcha Crazy man. Well, so you were talking about how you got tired of the politics at the major label and were digging indie label stuff. How do you see the difference between working at a major label and working for an indie label? Well, you know, it's funny because now that the the sort of indie labels are are major at this point, you know what I mean? But um, true. A like lot when of indie I was labels work- that were indie back then are have now become major. Yeah, like sub pop is like a multi million dollar situation. Um, I I just kind of felt like, like when I was at Interscope, like, you know, I was like, um, which was really cool. And and actually, one of the reasons that I really liked working at Interscope was because I got to, I was basically working under um, Ben Gordon, who signed Jurassic Five. And, um, and he, he, and so like, he was the one guy in the building that wasn't looking for the next black eyed peas and there's no disrespect to the black eyed peas. Um, but, but like I I wasn't like my head was not in the, I want to work and find a band that sings boom, boom, pow. Like I, just not what I want to do. (laughs) And so, um, I always felt like, and I I looked up to other A&R guys like, you know, Tom Wally and like Jimmy Iovine as like, Yes, they may have signed the Spice Girls, but mm. you know Jimmy Iovine like worked with John Lennon and like yeah. you know like you know, started this gigantic thing, and so it's like I kind of 
I don't know, but that was kind of like, and when I realized like, dude, like you're never going to get hired at a, as an A&R guy at mm-hmm. Interscope because the politics are just way too crazy. Uh-huh. Um, unless I had by fluke found Eminem and walked him through the door and Eminem was like, no, this, this guy's on my team. Yeah. You know, it's just not going to happen. And I saw a handful of times where people brought things in yeah, and then like, it just like, well, dude, you ain't got the skills to pay, to pay the bills. And p- the band just basically got pulled from them and said, here's who you're working with now. Oh, yeah. yeah. This guy managed Nirvana. He'll be a much better fit for you. You know what I mean? Like right, we right. want to sign you, but your management is not up to the snuff of what we want. Uh, and I feel like, and if you're the band, you got to do what I understand it. Like, sure. you know what I mean? You have this opportunity. It's like, it's like, uh, it's like the club. And it's like, um, what who's inside of this club right now will change your life forever. And we're going to allow you in, but your friends really ain't cool enough. They can't come. You, it's just you, man. You right. get what I mean? And, right. and I understood that. And I understood that like the chances of that. So, but for me, I feel like the independent thing, you're not looking for a thing that blows, that's going to blow, um, yeah. sell millions of units. Like you're, you're signing things because you're like, I just, think this is a record that everybody who's into this kind of music should have yeah and so that's really like to me with writing easy records i think of myself more like a curator like it's like dude you've got to hear this band and it's a it's kind of the next level up from being in high school making mixtapes for people i'm like no i'm putting this record out and like you need a copy of this record like dude you're gonna love this record i know what you like i know you'll like this you know what i mean and so and that's just kind of what it is. And even in high school, like I was always, I never had any money because I blew all my money at the record store. (laughs) Um, But at the same time, um, I was the guy that pretty much was the first guy that turned all of my friends on to what they're into. And they're still into, you know what I mean? And so, and you know, I think a lot of people, one thing that I, I, I realized doing this now, most people in the world, they stop finding about new music past the age of 25, 26, like kind of once they get out of college and they kind of start their life or, you know, get to life from maybe it's a little later now because people are having a harder time putting two and two together. Uh, It's, it's tough out there, but I kind of feel like most people, they, they kind of figure out what they like between the ages of like 15 and 25. And that's what they're going to listen to the whole life. Right. You know? Yep. So with metal, if you can get them at 15, you got them your whole life. You know what I mean? True. True. And, um, so, and hopefully they continue to want to learn about new things too, but, but yeah, that's, that's, so I don't know if I answered your question, but I think the difference with independent labels is, um, we're putting out records that we feel great about. And even if it doesn't sell a million copies, like that's okay. And with independent, like I've never signed a band saying, fuck, I can't stand these guys. And I, fucking can't stand this music but like this could sell a lot of records so i'm gonna go ahead and sign i've never done that like everything that i've ever signed i could say yo i like this record may or may not have done well but regardless i still like this record i understand why i liked this record and i still feel good about this like you know what i mean yeah and that's what i love about so many labels like yours obviously peanut butter wolf sure mr bongo like everybody puts out stuff that they really light in the attic is another one where they're just yeah. 
putting out stuff they really believe in. And it's like yes. that branding thing and trusting the label that puts out stuff like it is. It's like a friend going, this is a record you need to have, whether it's going to sell a million copies or a few thousand copies, you know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely, man. And I think that's I think that's the big difference between, um, you know, indies and majors. Like we're not crunching numbers over here saying, <laughs> right. well, based on all of this, we're going to, you know, we think that we're going to sell 11,000 units the first week. It's like, no, that's never going to fucking happen here. Right. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> well, at the same time, uh, I wouldn't be mad if it did, but if sure. it did, it would be a fluke like Nirvana and, and Bleach. You know what I mean? Right, like right, it, right. it would be a fluke like that, Yeah. you know? And I don't even think most people learned about Nirvana until they had a mate, until they were on Geffen. Right. And then, oh my God, they have a record before this Nevermind record. And right. then they went to Bleach. But guess what that did? It just kicked open the doors for all the other artists on Sub Pop, because there was a ton of people who were like, I don't know who Nirvana is. Oh, wait, this band's cool. Oh, wait, they had another record. Oh, what's the Sub Pop label? Oh, well, yeah. who, what's Mud Honey? Like, yeah. you know, what's Sonic Youth? What, like, you know what I mean? Like, and so that's what that kind of did. And so, you know, and I always get excited when I see bands that are even remotely in the purview of the music that I work with starting to take off, because to me, what's good for the goose is good for the gander man like it's like if there's a band like queens of the stone age yeah. that is selling out stadiums yeah. guess what dude like um eventually not all the people but eventually there's going to be let's call it 20 percent of their audience is going to be like fuck dude i really like that sound but queens of the stone age puts out a record every five years like i need more yeah. where do i get more of this what sure. else is like this sure. and then the roads will eventually lead to writing easy records right right totally you know absolutely and that's yeah. the same thing i feel like with um with with hip-hop and stuff like that it's like stone's throw you know what i mean yeah. it's like yeah. look um aloe black took yeah. off man he blew up and yeah. and you know even though he blew up from doing a song that really wasn't a hip-hop song right. what it did do is there's people who are like oh what is this oh this yeah. is really cool Oh, he's on here. What's this? And then it it, it brings more people and like, yeah, maybe only a, a small percentage of people wanted to learn about more stuff. But hey, man, like that's the way it works, right? Totally, absolutely. I did see Queens of the Stone Age just put something new out though. Yeah, they did. They just yeah, dropped, like, is it a record already or is it just a single? I think it's a single, but I think it's like yeah, the record's imminent. I've, that's I haven't listened to it. I got to be straight. I love them. Yeah. Uh, the last record, though, I felt was a little underwhelming. What was the last record? What was the latest one? And this is no diss on Mark Ronson, but I feel like he kind of made uh, them not really is is like I feel like they lost a little bit of that that edge. I feel yeah. like and so and I, I Mark Ronson to me is an amazing producer. Totally. And like I have nothing but the utmost respect. I don't feel like that was a match made in heaven. I don't right. feel like that was the best Queen's Stunning record. Yeah, I, I can. Does it make sense? Yeah, but totally. um, but I I respect both entities so much. Like I just Absolutely. feel like I feel like something got lost. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, I, I'm sh you know those guys in their twenties making rated R and freaking songs for the deaf. There's a different mentality going in than them. I mean, sure. Josh is Josh's in their Aria, 30s. Right? So, Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah there you go. So, but yes. Yeah. And even the first record and the first yeah. record, obviously, um, you know, that, that was on man's ruin. That was, a, yeah. that was, that was, and that artwork with Queens of Stone Age, like that was Ooh. a Frank Kozik thing. And ah, so, yeah, and yeah. that's where I, that's, that's the stuff like, you know, 
while I was in the mix, you know, and like working at the labels and stuff like that in the nineties, yeah. um, you know, Queens of the stone age was playing like, th- you know, Monday nights at, at the opium den for five bucks, dude. Like, you know what I mean? And like, yeah. and, and, and like there was this huge scene of all of this stuff that was going on yeah. um, around that time. And, and that definitely had a big part to like shaping, like where I was at with the rock stuff. You know, it's funny because people like, you know, I met you through DJing and playing yeah. at temple bar and whatever, yeah. but people don't know is like, I ended up DJing because it by accident, like I did not mean to become a DJ. Yeah. I had records and I was buying records all the time. That was my thing. <laughs> right. And I had turntables because I didn't want to have to wait between songs. Right. 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 And then people are like, dude, it. why don't you come out and play records before our band? So we don't have to have two bands and reset up our shit. And I was like, yeah. Oh, okay, that's cool. And then it turned into like, Hey, you want to play my house party? It'd be 300 bucks and beer. Yeah. And I'm like, Oh, that's cool. And then the club thing started happening. And I was like, wait a second, I can get paid this much money for playing Michael Jackson, Beyonce records. Hell yeah. I'm in. Let's go. You know what I mean? <laughs> totally. But that's, it was never like I, I it, it, it sort of happened. And I think one of the things that I learned about in music business is that, um, what you think you're going to be doing isn't always what you're going to be doing, but if there is yeah. a paycheck there, it's better than digging a hole Absolutely. and you're better, better to go do that, figure it out until you find something else that will help figure that out. For you. Yeah. Well, and back to inspiration and you saying, you know, Queens of the Stone Age used to play opium den. I mean, when I worked at Rhino records in my last year of high school there in Westwood, yeah, there were bands just coming down to play in stores like Nirvana like yeah. Soundgarden, like yeah. well, playing for 60 people or 100 people, however many people yeah. could cram into that spot. So just associating yourself with, with stuff you like and that's inspiring to you, who knows where it can go. You know, it's crazy. Yeah, absolutely. For sure. Well, so Dan, talk to me just because I want to know the nuts and bolts of what it looks like for you running the label. Like walk us through a day at you know, running the label, what are you doing? What makes uh, the label run on all cylinders? Like what is, what do days look or weeks look like for you? Mm, So with, with writing easy records, we're kind of an interesting, we have an interesting catalog because um, we've probably got close to like 700 songs now that are recorded between 1968 and 1985 um, that we've licensed. And we have the, the Brown acid compilations, which are sort of like, post hippie pre-punk stuff that was definitely influenced by Sabbath and Zeppelin or whatever, but it was all like kind of private press guys got together, you know, made a couple songs, put a seven inch out. And the story goes from there. Very similar to like what was going on in the funk scene at that time. Right. Um, There was the rock stuff, but it just wasn't as, it didn't become as popular because it wasn't getting sampled. And I feel like hip hop was the one that brought a lot of light to to those old punk records. Right. Like without that, it's like, you know, that's how I thought about it all. Yeah. yeah, exactly. I mean, sure. Or, or like you'd hear a hip hop song and you'd be like, oh, that's cool. And then you'd hear like brain freeze and be like, oh, that's what that's from. I yeah. had no idea. You totally, know what I mean? Totally. Cause that was pre-internet too, really, you know? Absolutely. And so, um, so there's the, I spent a good portion of my time dealing with old guys, hmm. um, licensing stuff. Yeah. And then I spent a good portion of the other portion of my time managing production. We we're at a catalog number 179 now. So we've got quite a bit of things and um trying to keep it all in press is extremely um important to us like like um you know 
I don't want to make eBay eBay items. Like I, I want to make records that like if if there's people that want to buy those records, I don't want them to have to spend sixty bucks on discogs. Right, right. I want them to be able to come and buy them from us and give be able to pay artists. You know what yeah, I mean? Like totally. that's where it's at. So, um, but that being the case, um, it's really become a balancing act um, for finances mm-hmm. to keep that much stuff in print sure. and physical space. Yeah. Like, dude, it's. I mean. <laughs> Even if you have 200 of each thing you put out, like to, at, at 107, like 34,000 records. Yeah, that's nice. It's so much like to house and make sure. So, you know, it can quickly go crazy. And so um, I deal with a lot of that. And then, um, and then the rest of the time is like, you know, it's like we've been on a tear lately, signing a lot of like classic rock and catalog stuff. Um, and so um, lately, it's been a lot of that. I um, I do feel like there's uh, the hourglass is definitely upside down on that. Um, mm-hmm. And a lot of people that were making music in the 60s and 70s are starting to pass away. Sure, sure. And in the next 10 years, they're going to be gone. Yeah, absolutely. That's it. Yeah. And so it's much easier to deal with the actual artist who owns their music yeah. than it is maybe their family who doesn't understand you know what I mean? And so, um, and it's not a diss and there's nothing shady going on here, but like, obviously, um, I can speak the language to somebody who has, who's sitting on something that hasn't been reissued in 30 or 40 years, or maybe it's never been issued because the recordings finished and there's, they just sat there and then life got in the way. And like, I've got these tapes and we recorded this stuff in 71 and nothing happened. So it's like, that's, that's important, you know? Um, so there's that. And then there's, you know, running the mail order, which um, we do and me and me and my wife, Jerry do. And then um, there's keeping up on there's now more than ever. Like we, you know, we stopped using publicists because um, press doesn't sell records anymore. Not for, I mean, I guess if you're Radiohead or Queens of the Stone Age, sure. You're big enough. They'll put you on the cover and Instagram about you. Right. But most of the stuff I'm working with is small. Mm-hmm. And when I say small, it's like, 50,000 followers and under on Instagram. These are not people that are selling out stadiums. Like the biggest band that I have on the label, um, you know, can play, we'll play 400 to 600 cap rooms. Like we're not selling thousand cap rooms out. And so um, we're just not big enough. And so what's happening is, is that um, unless you're this big act with press, um, they're not going to, tweet about you or Instagram about you because that's not going to get them likes. And that's probably not going to get people to go to their site. They need these, like, you know, they need these clickbait lines, like, you know, Testament talk shit about Dave Lombardo's drumming. And then you're like, (laughs) is that really what happened? And then you go and read the quote and it's like, no, that's not what happened. You know what I mean? But so, um, nobody can talk shit about Dave. So, yeah. So, so making content is more important than ever now. And I, and like, I, I have to spend a couple hours a day doing it. Like, you know what I mean? Like I have to take videos and we got to fucking edit them and like, um, you know, come up with, you know, catchy things to say. And like, it's, 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 so there's a lot of that that has to go on as well too. And then, um, I, with the bands that I'm working with, like the current bands that I'm working with, like, um, no one has a manager really cause they're not really making enough money for a manager mm, yeah. at the same time. 
they need somebody who is going to sort of keep the ship going straight, essentially. So, and in many ways, I'm everybody's label and manager. Sometimes I'm their manager and agent. Um, I am working. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, um, it's not super crazy, but like, yeah. And so it's like, it's the kind of, it's, it's a juggling act of like, and then like, you know, when it comes time to do like our, our, um, our, our accounting and stuff and we're artist royalties, like with the Brown acid compilations, there's 163 different people that I got to deal with. Yeah. And like, they get a check every six months, whether that check is for $9, like we still give them a statement with the check. Like they get something, you know what I mean? And so, um, so yeah, so there's quite a bit of, there's a lot of unfun things about running a record label. Like yeah. I wish it was just bong hits and stage dives, but that is sadly <laughs> not what it is. Right, you know what right, I mean? Right, right. So, but that's, a, I, I, I don't know. And like lately too, because our, of our older catalog, our classic catalog has yeah. been growing so rapidly. Like I've been spending a lot of time um, sending it, making sure that like the people that we work with that, that place music licenses and syncs and stuff like that um, have all the new stuff. Um, it always helps if I can be like, dude, we just got this record by Randy and the goats. I don't like, if you like Lou Reed, like you're going to fucking love this record. And then that record is cool. man. And then, yeah. And then, so it's like, but like, it takes me getting on the phone sometimes and they need to hear the conviction in my voice. Like I'm literally, I like, I want them to get excited about it so that they hear the excitement. So then they were like, all right, let me see what he's talking about. Like, oh yeah, dude, this is actually really good. Like this song is really good. Like this could be in a movie. Yeah, I can still hear that. So, you know, there's a lot of that, man. It's like, I have to hype the shit. It doesn't matter if I'm hyping it to somebody who's going to buy the record or go stream the record yeah. or a music supervisor or whatever. And then, you know, it's just like staying on top of it all. And like, man, I, there's certain days though, like by like two in the afternoon, I'm like, I'm spent already. Like I'm like, <laughs> totally. for a nap, you know, like totally. it's like, and so, um, but that's the, that's the basic thing. And like, um, but the good news is I'm not sitting in traffic every day. I get to work from home. Um, I pretty much get to run my own schedule. Uh, we pretty much work every day. Uh, yeah. There's not, I mean, unless we go out and go camping or something, but like, if I'm at home, I can't just like, I don't just sit here and just today's my day off. I'm just chilling. Like there's going to be something that it gets done. You know right, what I mean? Right, right, right. But you're yeah. surrounded by records all the time. <laughs> yeah. It's to the point where I'm just like, uh, I don't even <laughs> care at this point. Like, you know, there's certain things I'll get excited about, yeah. but it sucks though. As, as you get older, like the things that excite you just, they're, they're not affordable. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, who cares? I, I like, Oh man, like I'd really like to have an original of this. Oh, that's $1,300. And you're like, do yeah. I really need an original that's $1,300? When I have a repress, it sounds just fine. You know totally, what I mean? Like, totally. and I'll probably listen to it on Spotify anyways, but yeah, I mean, obviously we all have friends like that who have to have the original of something, but I'm like, I am not paying 350 bucks for a seven inch, man. I'm just not like, it's a piece of plastic at the end of the day. Like I want to have it, but I'll, I'll, I'll get it from Europe for 20 bucks. You know, the repress. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. No, you're, you're absolutely right. And, um, you know, if I can find if, the original, like out in the wild for a dollar fifty or something. Oh, yeah. of course. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> for like, sure. For sure. Right. But like, um, I don't, ha- I have to make choices in my life. Like yeah. 
hey, am I going to have a, a, a shelf full of originals or am I going to have represses and a couple cool classic cars? Yeah. I think I'll do the represses <laughs> and the classic cars thing. You know what I mean? Totally. Like, totally. <laughs> and you have some beautiful cars, man. I obviously I, I've known about some of them, but um, geez, that's super B. I was showing my son the pictures of your super B because he's all into he's all into cars right now. 18. Oh. And he was just like, dang, dude, that's a freaking awesome. But I wanted to talk to you about also you do that awesome Sabbath by the sea thing with your van. And I wanted to talk to you just about that and kind of how it works, how the labels incorporated and yeah, just so, how that um, kind of came to be. Cause it's, yeah. Incredible. So, yeah, it's funny. We, um, so we started that like eight years ago. Um, and, um, I am friends with Matt. Grayson who has a magazine called rolling heavy magazine. Okay. And, um, I was like, dude, like there's no cool van meets and like the van meets that were happening. It would be like at like a park, like off the 91 freeway in Anaheim Hills. And just like the vibe was so crappy. And I was like, mm. dude, we need, I was like, I found this beach in San Pedro. This is where I live now, yeah. but I found this beach in San Pedro and, the parking lot literally goes right up to the water, dude. Like, so and we can right. line them all up. And he goes, that sounds sick. Send me some pictures. So I sent him some pictures. He's like, bro, this is sick. He's like, where is this? And I said, it's literally where the 110 freeway jumps out. And he goes, how have I never seen this before? And I was like, <laughs> I, I don't know. Yeah. And when we started doing stuff there, like it was a pretty sleepy little beach spot and like yeah. nobody was doing it. Now it's like, dude, if you don't get there at a certain time, like on the weekend, like you can't even get a spot like oh, it. Wow. So, but um, yeah, so we just called and he's like, well, what should we call it? And I was like, we should call it Sabbath by the sea. We're going to pull the vans up. We're going to smoke weed. We're going to eat donuts, drink coffee and listen <laughs> to Sabbath on a Sunday morning. He goes, that sounds fucking perfect. So it's just kind of how it was. And then, um, yeah, it, it, it really, it was just like, just bring your van and we prefer vans pre 1980, but if you got a new van, who cares? Just come down, yeah. be cool. Listen to Sabbath, whatever. And like right. when we first started doing it, people really did get into the spirit. Like it was sick. Like there was like a hundred vans and you could walk by and every van was playing Sabbath and it was wow. different Sabbath songs. And it was like a really <laughs> surreal thing. It's kind of gone. It's kind of lost. It's I, I don't want to paint this picture as this, like this big Sabbath Mecca thing, yeah. but no, it definitely is a Sabbath thing. And um, we were doing it monthly and then things kind of got messed up with the pandemic and you can't mm -hmm. go see any of your friends anymore. And so we kind of, but um, but now we just do it in the summertime. Um, yeah. so the first one's in June, and we do it the first Sunday of the month. It's at Royal Palms Beach in San Pedro. So sick, dude. and um, yeah, that. yeah, it's a good time. So um, that's so rad. Yeah, it's been cool. Like it's been, it's it's like one of those things. We started doing it because there really wasn't anything kind of regular that was going on and then as the van scene kind of grew there's tons of things going on. i mean you could go to a van event every weekend now but back then it didn't it wasn't existing like the, and the, right. it, it really only we only kind of started doing it because it was like well let's figure out a way to get some of the homies down and like at this cool spot that's down by the beach and the nice part about it is you know how it is it's at the beach it's like the temperature is always moderate so it's like mm he can go in the summertime and people will complain like, why, why do you guys do it so early? We do it from like eight to 11. And it's like, cause if you're not there by like eight or nine, like <laughs> you need to get a parking spot. spot. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so. Right. Uh, that's, that's, 
That's incredible. Yeah, it's it's really it really wasn't anything that was supposed it 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 it's 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 become pretty infamous, but it never was really meant to be that. Like it was just like this thing, and it was like, hey man, and like so you know, it was like Sabbath by the Sea presented by Riding Easy Records and, and Rolling Heavy magazine. And Sweet. it was great too, because there was a lot of that, there's a lot of crossover there, like people like rock music and they're like, oh, this is cool. And they're like, I don't know what Riding Easy Records is, but this cool event, uh, check it out. You know what I mean? So yeah. Absolutely. And kind of furthering into the lifestyle thing of what writing easy records sort of embodies, which is like, you know, heavy riffs, you know, vans, muscle cars. It's basically everything that, that I'm into. And then it's just like, here's the soundtrack, you know? Right, so. right. Oh, that's perfect, dude. <laughs> well, I'm just like so grateful for uh, all of our listeners to get to hear this, man, because you and what you do with writing easy is so inspiring. Like, it's just such a perfectly all-encompassing label with someone who just love clearly loves what he does and curates all this amazing music with the you know with the series you've done it's just like you've got like the nuggets of of early 70s like you said you know uh just killer yeah. music for everybody to yeah listen thank to you they might not know about it's funny because lenny k who did who did the nuggets yeah comps yep he came out and said, this is the new Nuggets. This oh. is so awesome. Oh, and like sweet. having a video of him saying, what I'm really listening to right now is this brown acid record. No, and man, shit. it makes my speakers crank. And it's like, it's like, <laughs> one of the, it's like, it's like the biggest like nod ever. It's like, wow, like the man, you know what I mean? So you made it. That's it right there. <laughs> <laughs> I can retire. Yeah. I mean, geez, what more? When I got a quote from Leo Nocentelli about a single uh, we did, a version of one of his songs, I was like, that's all I need, man. That's all it. you need. That's it. <laughs> you that's it. I hope Lenny you put K. that into a hype sticker and put that right on the thing, dude. Absolutely, like, dude. <laughs> Absolutely. No, but but that's it. But thank you so much for, for having me. And, um, you know, uh, it's, 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 I feel really fortunate to have a career in music for all this time, I, I haven't really not been involved with music ever. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. And um, I, it's not easy. And, and when, I, and there's a lot of us who have been kind of on this grind for a long time yeah. that have known each other for a long time too. I mean, I think I've known you for like 25 years or yeah. close to that. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> I always respect people who are still in the game because dude, as you know, this is not, it is not easy. Yeah. It is just not easy to make a living and live like and live in Los Angeles where it's so freaking expensive. And you know what I mean? Like, and so um, every day I wake up and I, I'm super thankful for that. And I, I feel blessed and I, I don't take any of it for granted. And I know that it could end at any time. You know what I mean? Absolutely, man. I knock so. on wood four or five, six times a week and I'm just uh, grateful for it. And, you know, I think the uh, the old adage of do it because you love it is the most important thing to follow because that's what carries sure. you through. Yeah. You're absolutely right. Yeah, You're man. absolutely right. So, <laughs> Well, Daniel, I love you, bro. Thanks for coming Love you on. too, man. Thanks so much for having me on. What an honor. Oh, dude, the honor was all mine, and I can't wait for people to hear this. So much inspiration from you today, man. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks, man. Uh, looking forward to it. Uh, we'll have to we'll have to do it again soon. Right on. All right, bro. Well, be well, uh, and yeah. I'll, I'll see you real soon. All right. Hope you enjoyed this episode of the Conduit. 
Conduit is brought to you by Crew S Studio and DanUbeProductions.com. Many thanks to the folks at Squadcast, Polymash, Captivate, We Edit Podcasts, Universal Audio, Audio Technica, Sure, and Avid. Extra special thanks to my brothers from other mothers, Scott Power, Bill Coulter, and Alex Dezen. And last but not least, go check out Soul Pitman, my hand-picked music playlists on notrealart.com. Until next time, this is Dan Ubik, signing off.